You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. This episode is powered by Invest Ottawa. This is Naomi here, and in celebration of International Women's Week, I've teamed up with the Invest Ottawa team to bring to you this podcast series that highlights leading women in Ottawa. This is the fifth episode. From the bottom of my heart, if it wasn't for those people along the way throughout my life, I wouldn't be where I am today. So Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in going out there, aiming as high as you can, because that's the only way you're going to get somewhere, right? And you cannot take things for granted. You cannot be complacent. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. My name is Naomi Hailey, and today I'm sitting down with Sam Panambalam. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm great, Naomi. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm super excited. I am beyond excited to to delve into your story, the work that you're doing with ExaHive. So for the audience, I will give you a little bit of context on Sem's story. Sem is the co-founder and president of ExaHive, a Canadian company with offices in Ottawa, California, which Sem's in California right now, by the way, I'm so jealous. Um, New York and the UK. At ExaHive, Sem is primarily responsible for global operations, including cybersecurity audits, business and market development. With 18, over 18 years of experience in private and the public sector, Sam has been instrumental in building relationships and between, uh, between ExaHive and SBDC California, New York, Select USA, London and Partners, P20, New York Academy of Sciences, BlackBerry. I'm so excited to talk about all these partnerships, Red Hat and IBM Globally. Sem has co-authored three books on cybersecurity, co-authored several articles and white papers on cybersecurity, including two published in medical journal articles. Sem has also been interviewed about the importance of cybersecurity by both Canadian print and television media. She continues to lecture and facilitate an introduction to cybersecurity governance workshops and courses for businesses just across the board, right? Academic institutions in both the US, Canada, and also Europe. Sam does a lot of these, a lot of panels. She's definitely, you know, well represented. And so she represents ExaHive at the World Economic Forum in New York, speaking about the importance of cybersecurity. Sam holds a BA Honors in Political Science with a concentration in International Relations and a Master's in Legal Studies from Carleton University. And she is also the proud mother to a two-year-old daughter. So welcome, welcome Sam, and I can't wait for everyone to hear more about you. Well, thank you. Hearing it really makes me sound very old. So thank you. But yes, no, thank you so much. I I really appreciate this opportunity to be here. You've done so many incredible things over the years. And I'd love for us to, you know, before we head into the work that you're doing now, I'd love for us to talk a little bit about your origin story, how you got started, you know, do you have siblings, the whole the whole nine yards? Okay. Well, I was actually born in Sri Lanka. Um in 1978. So now you all know how old I am. Um, And um, I was um, really excited to be the child of and super excited even now to be the child of um, parents who were diplomats. So my father was a diplomat. um, And he was posted in Africa, specifically Zambia. So my childhood, my early childhood was growing up in Zambia. Um, 
I was very lucky and privileged to be able to grow up in a diplomatic compound. It gave me an opportunity to meet um, and become friends with kids all around the world. And my parents were really amazing in the fact that they introduced me to so many different people and cultures. And But I do recall some of the best memories for me was when my parents would um, take me once a month to go and do some volunteer work in the remote villages in Zambia, uh, working with the local communities, you know, and the most amazing experience that I think my mom and dad always told me is that, that they learned so much from the local communities. So by, you know, just being there giving, even though they were utilizing their skill sets to help you know, the communities, but I definitely enjoyed um, my time growing up in Africa. And then we moved back to uh, Sri Lanka in 1983. And um, that was the beginning of the Civil War. So it was quite uh, hard to be there as a um, uh, as a minority. Um, as And my father also had many other roles, and he was a politician as well. So unfortunately, because of how things were uh, politically, it was not safe for him to stay in Sri Lanka, so he had to actually escape. Whereas my mom and I followed a few months later, but it was a, a trying time because he had to leave. I didn't know what had happened. They didn't want to tell me in case I was questioned, and which actually ended up happening. It was a it was a tough time as a five year old at that point, you know, trying to wow. figure out what was happening. So my father actually came to Canada as a political refugee. So. And then we had to wait until he got his papers from refugee status to landed immigrant. Then finally, um, uh, then he was able to sponsor myself and my mom. During that time, we moved from India to California. I lived with my uncle and uh, my family. And then when my father was able to get his uh, paperwork in order to sponsor us then, we finally joined him in 1987 in Ottawa. So, and that's where I pretty much grew up. So Ottawa's been <laughs> my home since I was eight years old. And I went to Carleton for both my degrees. And, you know, growing up, um, my father actually passed away when I was quite young. So when I was 15, um, so it was a tough time. And my mom took it quite hard because, you know, he was the sole breadwinner and they had this really amazing relationship. So it was tough for her. And so I kind of took on the really role of helping my mom out, you know, in terms of financially and stuff. And my mom changed, I guess, over time. And I didn't know at that point because I was a teenager, but she obviously was dealing with depression, you know, having lost her partner. And um, it was tough, but I was really lucky, again, to have had people around me like my neighbors um, and good family friends who kind of took me under their wing and mentored me starting from a very young age. So I don't think I'd be who I am today had I not gone through those experiences. And during my undergrad, I uh, was uh, working on Parliament Hill. And I also worked at McDonald's actually <laughs> part-time. So it was funny because one day there was actually a minister that showed up and said, hey, didn't I see you and then you're working here? And I said, yeah, I also work here too. Then during this time, I was very lucky again, I got selected for an internship in 
Washington, D.C., um, right. where I interned with Senator Dianne Feinstein and also had an opportunity to intern with Amnesty International because I was very passionate and still am passionate about human rights issues, uh, specifically women's rights and children's rights. Um, during this time, I was working actually at Rogers Communications, um, so that helped me pay for my grad school. I was working full time and doing grad school part time. And but while I was in grad school, I did my thesis work on reproductive sexual rights of low caste women in India. So that which enabled me to go to India actually to do some field work. And when I completed my master's, um, I actually was lucky again to get an internship um, at UNHCR. So we're kind of coming a bit full circle because I wanted to be able to work with refugee women and children and be able to help. So I then was applying for full-time job opportunities. And um, during this time, I was applying for different positions, two in Africa, one in New York, um, and one in Switzerland with the UN. And I don't know how, but I somehow managed to get all four offers, and um, which was shocking for me at that point. While I was doing that, my mom fell quite ill. So I had to actually move back to Ottawa uh, to be with her. And so my international career was put on hold. And then I started working in um, the Canadian federal government. So I did some time in different departments that Health Canada, Fisheries and Oceans, Global Affairs Canada, and uh, Agriculture, Agri-Food Canada. And then that's when I left because, you know, we decided to start our company both. And during this time as well, I met my husband when I came back to Ottawa. Um, so I think maybe that's, you know, things, it's serendipitous, I guess. Things happen for a reason. And mm -hmm. he also happens to be my co-founder and CTO right. of Exahive. So that's how that happens. So I guess that's my origin story. You so brought us right to today. You know, thank you for, for that context. And, you know, before we talk about the, the work that you're doing today, I'd love to spend a little bit of time with, you know, your international development work. You've obviously, you know, that's what you studied in school. You did internships in this space. What was your decision-making process around, this is where I want to continue my education. These are the issues and specific areas that I want to focus on. What helped you come to that decision? I think being exposed as a child of a diplomat, being exposed to international communities and cultures really helped because I lived it. I, uh, I, was, I was born into it. I was, you know, dealing with it. So that really made a huge difference. And then that kind of always resonated with me. And then also having experienced, you know, changes in financial hardship and having lost my dad at a younger age, you know, all of those things that really brought into that humanitarian, human, human aspect, right? And being an immigrant woman, in Canada, my mother raised me by myself as a like a single parent. So it was really tough. And I saw the struggles that she had gone through, not just financially, but just emotionally and mentally. And I wanted to somehow be there for other women, be there for other kids and see if I could somehow help. So I think that's where my passion for women's human rights kind of ties back in. But the international aspect definitely came from my father. So you, you know, took that experience, you spent a little bit of time working for the Canadian federal government here, 
And Mm -hmm. then you mentioned that you met your husband, then you both started this company. And so what has it been like, you know, building Exahive? And yeah, can you talk a little bit about how that started, how that came to be? Was there a specific moment where you're like, okay, this is definitely a space (laughs) that we need to enter into? Yeah, so Exahive began because both my husband, David, and I had experienced three different cyber breaches throughout our time while working with the government. So at that point, both David and I were holding, you know, secret and top secret clearance. So it's pretty scary that someone's out there impersonating you. The first time we found out that we were breached and someone was impersonating us was right before we got married. And we were like, what is happening? We were trying to put through our payments and stuff. And then our bank started calling us. And, you know, as you can imagine, getting married, there's a a ton of you know, things that you're paying for. So it was really shocking to see what had happened. And then, and then the second time was after that, when we were applying for a mortgage to buy a house. And again, we realized, hey, our information has been compromised. And then another time, my healthcare data was actually compromised. So it was a pretty, pretty scary moment at that point. So yeah. So there were several incidents, I should say. Yes. And then so we decided to pull our skill sets together. Yeah. Obviously, David with his technology background and, and myself with my years of regulatory experience and market development experience, because I held different yeah. roles and I was able to bring in the different skill sets from both private sector and public sector. But I had to learn a lot, right? Like I didn't know anything about cybersecurity like David who has that technology, cybersecurity, engineering, computer science background. I don't have, (laughs) so it was, it was a huge learning curve, but I really delved into it because I was very passionate about it. I don't want this to happen to everyday people and professionals. So this is why we decided to leave the security of a government job and start our uh, own business. Right. And one of the talks, you actually mentioned that it's not a matter of if you'll be breached, but when you find out or when it happens. Exactly. And I can't imagine what that experience was like. So I didn't realize that it was actually like a personal breach. I thought it was, you know, in the organizations that you were working at. I mean, I'm sure the organizations were breached, but you know, on average, it takes over 280 days for an enterprise to find out that you've been breached. So, and that's an enterprise on average. So imagine like on a personal level. So this must have happened several years ago. We just didn't know. And we, the only reason we found out was because, hey, we were making payments, you know, and our credit card was compromised. And then the second time we were trying to purchase a house. And then the third time was my healthcare data was breached. So, yeah. And so... This is, this is actually, I'm not speaking to you, but this is a big issue. And when everything moved virtually last year, did we see a rise? So there's definitely been a rise in cybersecurity breaches. I think you see this, especially in healthcare, you see this in, in finance sector, because everything is now online, right? I mean, we were, we're no longer used to going to an actual bank or even your doctor's appointments, if you can, most of them are virtual. So it really depends on how secure is your home network. People who are working from home, is your home network secure? Have you had your IT team take a look at it? Um, Are your kids using your laptops? Are your kids using your phones that you're utilizing to call in or to have your video chats for work? 
um, what sorts of apps are they downloading? Are those apps legitimate? Because they could download something on the Play Store, but it could actually be an app from a state actor that's literally copying everything on your phone. And a lot of people use their phone for paying for things, right? So they don't even, it's a touch-free access, but if you have other things on your apps that are breached or compromised, then all of your other information is gonna get compromised. Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend. Take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. And you had years of experience working in international development and international affairs. And so for you as a, as the president of Exahive, what has been that learning experience? Like what is your, what are your, some of your learning practices today and the transfer of skills that you brought into this new role as well? Well, you're constantly working with new people in cybersecurity and cybersecurity is not just a Canadian thing. Right. You're the internet people and the internet is the world wide web www Uh, so you know bringing those skill sets in definitely helps being able to connect with people obviously there's the tech side of things where david comes in and he's the technology guy he talks to it but you have to also have that people skills you have to have the soft skills because if you can't communicate with different cultures and you're not able to connect then you're not able to actually sell your product That's so important and you need to have that. And I think those are the teams that are are quite successful. The ones who have co-founders that have both, not just a pure tech background, but like an interdisciplinary background in terms of education and skill sets. Right. And so all the links to where you can learn about Exahive will be in the show notes, but I wanted to give people a little bit of context about what it is that the company does. And so Basically, you help organizations reduce their risk of cybersecurity attacks, and you do focus on the governance aspect of it as well. And so Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about what maybe some of those high level components are uh, within your business and how you really support? You also support small businesses, right? Small businesses, governments, and enterprise level. So in terms of the governance aspect, Oftentimes, there are tons of amazing solutions out there in, you know, that we have in the world. Unfortunately, you can have the best solutions, but if you don't have policies and procedures put in place that are going to protect those amazing solutions, you're going to continuously see cyber breaches. And the biggest breach usually happens on two fronts, both internally because people don't know what they're doing. And it's not that they're doing it intentionally. They just don't understand because... The tech team may know, but the rest of the team doesn't understand what they should do and they shouldn't do and why they should do it or not do it. So that's the governance aspect. It could be as simple as bring your own device. Do you have policies for, you know, once an employee leaves or is on vacation, do you actually shut off access for their email? How often do you do audits for your organization? What about your third party vendors? Who are you dealing with? Do they have access to your data? So these are the things that are really important to take a look at. Yeah. And then I was listening to one of your talks and you did 
mentioned to look at all levels of the value chain. And so you might be looking internally, but can you spend a little bit of time talking about the people that you are actually working with? As you mentioned, those third party vendors or external consultants that you're bringing in into your company as well. Yeah. So essentially any business, regardless of the size of the business, whether you're a small business or an enterprise, you have a huge value chain. So right from your employees to your end user, which could be your, which could be your client or customer, sometimes right down to people that you're working with, as you said, your subcontractors. So who are you employing? If it's a bakery, for instance, who are you purchasing your flour from if you are getting flour and so on? Or if it's a grocery store, are you going to a t- traditional grocery store? Or are you going to a, a local mom and pop story? How are they storing their data? Who's getting access to this information? People are paying now by credit card or online. What are, are you backing up that storage? Like, and are you doing it solely on the cloud? What happens if the cloud goes down? If the cloud is breached, do you have backups? Do you have external backups? How often are you training your employees on phishing malware and the importance of that? And are you calling your vendors if they're giving, if they send you an email, are you just taking it for face value and say, oh, that is coming from Naomi. I know her. I'll just send it. Is it actually coming from Naomi or is it some bot that's been watching how Naomi and I have been communicating over the past six months and figured out our communication pattern and pretending to be Naomi and you've actually sent $50,000, $100,000 over a wire transfer and now it's in some part of the world that you have no access to. So these are things that are really important. And so it's not just ensuring that your organization is secure and educated, but you have to make sure when you get into vendor management, you know, your contract, mm. you should ask them, hey, when was the last time you did an audit? How often do you do it? Do you educate your employees? Do you use encryption? What type yeah. of encryption level? Can you show me cybersecurity insurance that indicates that if you do get breached and as a result, I get breached, will that protect me? So these are things that everyone should be asking, especially this day and age. The reason that I brought the governance aspect up is because the structure and the way in which companies make decisions about these things are really important. And even after you have someone like Exahive to come in to support you with these things, how do we make that a sustainable change throughout, right, over time? And so how policies are stated are very important. The training that is done for employees is also very important. Can you paint a picture of like the dollar value? Really, what is the cost of, of cybersecurity breaches worldwide and, and what that what that whole thing looks like as well? Yeah, so the next coming years, the cybersecurity market right now is going to be reaching about $276 billion by 2027. And the compound annual growth rate between now to 2027 is actually 12.5%. The biggest thing to also be aware of, especially now, is that 5G has come into play. So 5G, which has a ton of legacy problems, legacy system issues, because 4G already had it, and those weren't addressed. And now 5G is sitting on top. But as a result of 5G, three times more devices are going to be connected to the internet uh, by the next two years than actual humans on this planet. 
So it's billions and billions of devices are going to be connected to the internet, but don't have security attached to it. Wow. That's a huge issue. It is a huge issue. And one other striking statistic that I came across is that over 60% of small and medium-sized businesses tend to go out of business six months after a breach. That is probably happening well after you find out about it, right? As you, just to tie it back to what you were mentioning earlier. And not only that, those are numbers from a couple of years ago. So this is not equating to COVID. So, I mean, since COVID breaches have gone up like 300 to 600%, depending on the sector. And last year alone, and these are stats from 2019, by the way, average breach to recover from a breach is about approximately $4 million USD. So that's the average recovery. And so once a breach happens and you don't have these governance policies and procedures in place, that's a huge problem. Right. And so we talked a little bit about you know, how your prior experiences helped in in order for you to sort of lead this company, because you really are selling Mm -hmm. a vision, you're selling your products, your services. And so as as a leader in this space, what have been the really important investments that you've made? A lot of it has to be really focusing on the thought leadership opportunity, because if you don't know your stuff, it's going to be a big problem. And how do you set yourself apart? So you need to have a unique selling point. So the biggest unique selling point for Exahive is that we have a patented technology that actually enables us to be able to provide security and compliance to -to end-to-end solutions for both enterprises and IoT data transmission. So that's a huge thing. So, and also to know who your actual um, competitors are, because unless you know who your competitors are, then you won't be able to keep yourself unique. And you can't be complacent, especially in cybersecurity, because you're always playing catch up because the cyber criminals are way ahead. And you're not just contending with cyber criminals, right? You're contending with state actors. This is a new warfare now from a national security perspective. So this is huge. Economies are crumbling as a result of this, right? And even Mm -hmm. a few days ago, I was reading about how a city in Florida, you know, a cyber criminal was able to breach the water system. That's incredibly scary because that could have, you know, killed millions of people. So the hacktivists, they they usually have a political agenda. So they they actually hack systems not to like harm people, but just to, to essentially say, hey, I hacked you because of X, Y, and Z, whether it's a environmental issue or whatever it may be. And even uh, recently, I think in Germany, a couple of months ago, in 2020, there was a breach of some kids who were breached one of the university hospital systems, and they ended up actually killing a lady as a result of that breach. And they didn't realize, but it's really scary. So, and then there are obviously internal breaches that happen because people don't know what they're doing. And they, you know, those breaches happen as a result as well. So these are some of the things that, um, that are taking place, but yeah. That's really interesting. And I would love for you to speak a little bit about just mindful of the the audience of The Power of Why. A lot of individuals between 23 to 35, what would you recommend for people? Because I'm on my computer all day, most days. And yeah. same thing on my cell phone. And so what are some of the things that you would recommend for, for young people who, like this is 
just the part of the way that we live life at this point and your means of communication yeah huge yeah. it's not just young people especially now it's everyone with, um, it's everyone COVID, right everyone's having to work from home communicate from home talking to their friends their families i mean people have long distance relationships this way like it's the, yeah. this is the only way you have some form of connection right so i think the first thing is to make sure you have up-to-date anti-malwares spyware on your computer don't let it lapse check <laughs> to make sure it's up to date make sure that you know you have a strong internet connectivity call your isp provider ask them if there's additional things that you can do to protect yourself you know definitely make sure that you don't download unnecessary apps go through clean your apps out but sometimes it may be too late they probably already have copied your information and, and really be careful with who you share your information with. We live in a culture where we share a lot of info. I mean, I mean, I, I kind of did that earlier, but, um, but my stuff is already out there. So, you know, I think what we need to do is really be careful on what you post because it's not just people that are seeing it or hacktivists. It could be your employers, future employers go and look at people's LinkedIn posts or their Facebook or Insta, you know, whatever, whatever means, you know, people are using to communicate because and people have been fired over this, you know, even though they are not working during those times. So you have to be very careful with what you post out there because it could come back and you, there may be other repercussions, not just in terms of your information being breached. Um, especially when you go on, you know, when obviously COVID is over, hopefully, and we can all travel and go on vacation. Do not post that you're on vacation while you're on vacation. Do it when you come back. I know we have this instant, like we need to share everything. If you do that, someone's going to be like, oh, okay, well, I know Naomi isn't home. So I'm going to go rob her. Thank you, Naomi, for letting me know. Or, you know, grandparents who post pictures of their grandkids and tell them which schools they're attending and so on. Uh, you don't want predators to have access to that information, you know, as much as they're really excited to share that they're, you know, these are grandparents, of course, but you have to be careful with what you share and where you share it because that information, data is the new oil. So, you know, that right. is the, the, that's huge currency. And right. anything that's free, any site that gives you free access they are selling your data. Right. So whether it's WhatsApp, you know, Google, Facebook, Instagram, every social media it. platform. Yeah. Yeah. How else are they? They're monetizing you, basically. You are the product, essentially. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is really important, and I think also to as a culture that, as you mentioned, as a culture that it's almost second nature to, to share what you're doing, who you're working with, the projects that you have going on, where you are like physically located. It's a game of rewiring what that looks like. And same thing as what you're doing and, you know, going into organizations and helping them with online audits. You kind of have to do mm -hmm. that at a personal level as well. And so, yeah, thanks for sharing those tips. Yeah, I know. You just have to be careful because, I mean, you, you want to be able to ensure that when you're even the the other thing is like people using Alexa and then having, you know, working from home. If Alexa or Siri or any one of these 
are on your device, it's recording every single thing. So if you're working for the government, you're working in healthcare, you're working in finance, you're working in legal, anything mm -hmm. where you're, you're worried about someone's intellectual property or someone's personally identifiable or personal health information, you need to be very careful. And you need to make sure you use encrypted you know, services. And just don't take something for face value when they say, oh yeah, it's encrypted. If it's encrypted and that encrypted information, the encryption keys are on the server, that is the worst thing you can do because when the server gets breached, everything gets decrypted. So always ask, where are the encryption keys stored? Because mm -hmm. you These want are... it stored on the devices, not on the actual server, server. itself. Very interesting. Thank you for, for that. I, <laughs> I think it's, you know what this does? It, it gives people an avenue to then dig deeper, right? Because we can only mm -hmm. go so far in this conversation. But I think it's really important for people to be informed about what can happen, right? Before it does yeah. happen to you. And so I would love to take the last couple minutes before we wrap up the episode to talk a little bit about, you know, what drives your work. You already mentioned the importance of mentorship and, and how, yeah. you know, community has played a part on your journey. Can you talk a little bit about what drives you and specifically in this work, but also in life as well? Uh, well, I think it's always wanting to not take things for granted you know, being grateful for what you have. I don't think I mentioned this earlier, you know, um, while I was actually working in the government and then of course with Exahive, I was also going through fertility treatments and also dealing with a mom who was actually um, under in palliative care. So at home. So it was a tough journey. I saw both sides, you know, I saw like her kind of leaving this planet slowly mentally you know mm -hmm. and physically but at the same time my journey of also trying to conceive and have a child and my own health issues and so on so i don't take things for granted i'm very grateful for being alive a eh? yeah. <laughs> and having what i have today i'm grateful for where i am today and i'm extremely grateful for all the people who believed in me and who continue to believe in me and who partnered with me along the way, as you had mentioned, you know, we're partnered with amazing companies like uh, Blackberry, IBM, Red Hat globally, to name a few. And we're very, very lucky and blessed to have that. I think that's what drives me and the drive to make sure that my daughter has a better future. Her and her cohort have a better opportunities, greater access being, uh, you know, in the future as a young woman and, and also for young men. It's not just for young women. I just want to make sure that there's a level playing field. I know the world will never be a level playing field fully, but just getting to that stage would be fantastic. And to be able to give that opportunity, I think is what the biggest drive and motivation is. And to be able to mentor future young women and children because people believed in me and gave me an opportunity yeah. and it's my turn to give back. And I think that's the only way that we can move forwards and see positive change in this world. You, your story is, I would say like an example of resiliency and like you've gone through you. so much in your life. And I remember in our first conversation, one of the messages that you wanted to leave everyone with is to aim for the stars and not to settle and yeah 
I think the best way to, to, to impart that message is literally by living that day by day and yeah. encouraging other people to also live out their own truth, whatever that yeah. looks like for them. And so do you want to wrap us up by talking a little bit about the importance of not settling and, and how you've been able to do that in your own life too? Yeah, because I've, I've had these amazing mentors and people who've believed in me, who've um, backed me up when no one else has, you know, or, or majority of society was just like, okay, well, that's not going to work or <laughs> that solution won't work, you know, and I've had a lot of naysayers even in Ottawa, right? So, but at the same time, I've got Invest Ottawa and others back me up and stand by me and stand behind me, which I am so grateful for. And from the bottom of my heart, if it wasn't for those people along the way throughout my life, I wouldn't be where I am today. So Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in going out there, aiming as high as you can, because that's the only way you're going to get somewhere, right? And you cannot take things for granted. You cannot be complacent, especially those young women who are now looking at starting um, being an entrepreneur it is hard work i am not going to tell you uh working for yourself is hard work because if you decide to take a day off that's one day less of not being able to talk to some potential client it's not every two weeks you get a nice paycheck you sign off at five o'clock or maybe you have a long day here and there but you literally have to work night and day you know until you get to a certain stage right it's a lot of work. It's a lot of sacrifice. It impacts emotionally, mentally. It can impact your family relationships. I mean, you need to put extra time and effort with spending that time, especially with my two-year-old, you know, and I'm very lucky that I have a partner that I work with that supports me, who gets that and who's there to back me up. Uh, I mean, my daughter calls my husband, mommy, daddy, and she calls me daddy. So, I mean, hey, um, I think she's a great feminist, you know, <laughs> like role reversal. But I mean, there's no roles anymore, right? You need to put in a lot of time and effort. You need to put that time and effort, you know, with your family, with your friends and being so busy. I think that's something I need to work on. <laughs> that's, you know, I may not be always available for my friends and family. It's not because I don't care for them. So if you guys are listening, I do love you all. Um, (laughs) So this is a shout out, especially to all my in-laws and my family and, you know, my friends, especially in Ottawa and around the world. Uh, I do care for you all. I just, I've just been very busy, (laughs) but it doesn't mean I don't think about you guys. Yes. So um, it can be a lonely journey. And, you know, oftentimes you need to surround yourself with people that uplift you, that believe in you, that support you, because it is a tough journey. But you know what? It is one of the most rewarding journeys there is. So I think if you want to become an entrepreneur, go for it. But don't be complacent, especially now. It is so difficult that you have to go out there and give it your all. So well put, Sam. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on here and sharing your story and, and telling us, you know, how you got into the space as well. I think it's 
really inspiring and your overall message of not settling and just, you know, going after what it is that you want. It resonates deeply with me. So thank you. And thank thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of The Power of Why. You heard from Sem and I'm your host, Naomi. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Naomi. Thanks so much. You can find the show notes at www.naomihiley.com. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to The Power of Why on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was powered by Invest Ottawa and their 2021 International Women's Week initiative. To learn more about the week and how you can get involved, visit www.investottawa.ca forward slash IWW.